You know, there's not a lot of people in the world who like to be told what to do. Wouldn't you agree with that? How many of you like to be told what to do? Teenagers, how many of you like to be told what to do? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I thought about that because uh, we're looking at the story of Jesus and Pilate today and uh, authority and having authority over somebody. And uh, I got to thinking, you know, there are a lot of people who like to be told what to do, Right? There's a lot of people that I've worked with in ministry or whatever, and they just say, just tell me what to do, right? Why do they say that? They don't want to be a decision maker. They don't want to be responsible. Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And I think that uh, when we look at this situation uh, with Pilate and Jesus, it, it, it kind of reminds us about this whole issue of authority in our life. So if I ask you this, would you rather be a person in authority or a person under authority? Well, <laughs> I, I guess we could vote on it, couldn't we? How many of you like to be in authority? Yeah, you like to be char in charge, right? How many of you like to be under authority? Somebody else is covering for you, right? Yeah? There's just kind of two different kinds of people in the world, right? And I think that uh, when it comes to your spiritual life, though, some of us have an easier time of it who like to be under authority, right? Those who like to be in charge and like to take the ball and run and like to lead and coming under authority sometimes is just a little bit more of a struggle. And we're in this series, Ordinary People, Extraordinary God. We're looking at encounters that Jesus had with just ordinary people when he was here. Uh, on this planet, and today on Palm Sunday, we're going to take a look at the encounter he has with Pontius Pilate, this Roman governor, prefect, if you will, who had jurisdiction. He had authority over Israel. He had authority over Jerusalem, uh, and Jesus comes on the scene, and he has to deal with this situation. He alone has the power to sentence someone to death in the culture, and he was responsible for law and order to, not make, to make sure things don't get out of hand in his entire territory. He's not a Jew. He's a Roman with authority over the Jews. And by the time we see this scene, and we're going to look at John 18 today, before we see this scene, Jesus has already been tried by the Jewish people and their court system, and it was a mock trial, as we know, and it was... He was found guilty immediately of blasphemy. He claimed to be the Son of God, and uh, he needs to die for that. We're going to look at two different scenes that Jesus has with Pilate. Here's the first, John 18, verse 28. They, then they, uh, meaning the Jews, Jewish leaders, led Jesus from Caiaphas, the high priest, into the praetorium. And it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium, so they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover, which was that very next day. Therefore Pilate went out, of the, out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, first of all, they ignore his question, you'll notice, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Just take it, for it from us. He's an evil man. So Pilate said to them, well, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. And the Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. 
to fulfill the word of Jesus which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore Pilate entered, entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate said, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me, and what have you done? Jesus answered, key phrase, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants, well, they would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. So Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, well, you say correctly, I am a king. For this I have been born. For this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, what? Hears my voice. Pilate said to him, well, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him, says Pilate. One of the things that we can just immediately see from the conversation is that worldly authority has no jurisdiction in God's kingdom. Pilate has no jurisdiction over what's about to happen to Jesus, really. Jesus says here, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, you would be seeing a different situation right now. My followers would be fighting. There would be a war breaking out to maintain our power and authority and jurisdiction, but I really don't care because my kingdom is not of this world, this realm. Where I am king, I have absolute jurisdiction. Pilate, he believed that he was in control when it came to Jesus. You ever thought you were in control when it came to Jesus? He believed that he could make Jesus do what he wanted him to do, that he had Jesus' destiny and future in his hands. He was going to be the one to decide it. He had the authority. Do people, do people today believe that, mistakenly, like Pilate, do people today believe that they mistakenly can control Jesus? I mean, can, uh, control God? I mean, we, on, the, on, the, on the surface, we would say, no, I can't control God. I can't make God do what he... And yet there are those times where, if we're not careful, we say, God, if you really love me, <laughs> is that a form of manipulation and control? If you really love me, you would intervene. Or, you let that happen to me, I can't serve you. I can't serve a God that would let that kind of thing happen. People all the time. They're trying to coerce God, manipulate God, control Him. You know, considering who He is and considering who we are, isn't it kind of foolish to do that? I mean, sometimes we just need to step back and get a healthy dose of the creator God 
creator of not only my life, but of this little tiny planet in this massive solar system that is just a tiny blip in the expanse of the universe. He did all of that, but I'm going to tell him what to do? That's kind of Pilate's thinking here. I got to thinking about this. You know, there's... You ever been in a grocery store and seen a toddler throw a fit? You ever been a parent and seen your kid throw a fit? Never, right? You walk down the grocery store aisle and there's this 18-month-old just screaming and kicking and a smiling mom. Just, it's part of growing up, but you're not getting what you want. And as an onlooker, you just go, it's kind of silly, you know, get up. Sometimes when we're trying to make God, it's even more silly than that. You know, in the passage, Jesus speaks about truth. He said, this is the reason I came. I wanted to tell people the truth, the truth about everything. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I want you to know the truth. And what's Pilate's answer? <laughs> what's truth? Now, we don't know if Pilate's scoffing him. What is truth? Like, nobody knows what is true. Everybody gets to decide for themselves what is true. There's no absolute truth. Or maybe he truly is inquisitive. I'd like to know the truth. You say you know the truth, maybe I'd like to know. Needless to say, when we look at worldly authority, it's always defining truth for itself. It's always saying, I know what is true, I know what is going to happen, I know what ought to be, and so I will decide what is true, and it usually is to support their livelihood or their ideology or whatever. What is truth? Is it fixed? Is it absolute? Is it eternal? Is it changing? Can it change? You know, back in the 19th century, there was a man named Karl Marx. He came up with this new truth. And it changed the world. Literally changed the world. He said that this new truth is this new plan to bring humanity into a wonderful existence, a place where we can live in peace, we can live in harmony, wars will cease. We just need some societal transformation. We need the government to take charge of everything. We need to take charge of the means of production. Everybody needs to work for the government. We need to impose this. And, uh, because the problem is some people have money and some people don't have money, so we've got to get the people that don't have money to fight those people, strip them of their wealth. Because all evil is the result of classes. And so we need to get rid of all these classes, make everybody the same. It's much more fair. And we'll all live happily ever after in a society of wonderful peace and wonderful harmony. This new truth of Karl Marx, obviously, it, it said that, you know, the government really is only going to be needed to get it through a period of time. 
this government called communism. We're just going to use it for a short period of time. And Karl Marx said this. He says, someday when we get to our goals, the government will just wither away. You know, part of that it would be kind of nice, but no, uh, no, it wouldn't. Believe me, we need, we need government. Amen. I didn't get any amens on that, but that's okay. That's all right. I understand. I understand. He says, once you get all the classes destroyed and everybody's the same, government will be, uh, be gone because we don't need any more laws. We won't need any laws because we're all going to be sharing everything together. Everybody's going to be living in one happy community. He says, we won't even need currency. You won't need any currency because nobody's going to try to take advantage of one another. You'll just share. Doesn't it sound wonderful? It sounds wonderful, but what's wrong with it? It's not the truth. That's what's wrong with it. Oh, yeah, it's been tried and tested, and there's a lot of people that today still believe it, right? Marxism is alive and well in America today. You know that, right? Alive and well. Ideology, still trying to get to a perfect world. We believe mankind can solve its own problems. It's just not true. His new truth has killed over 150 million people, slaughtered them. The reason societies are evil is not because we have classes, it's because we have evil people living in them. Okay? The truth is, mankind is sinful. The truth is, mankind needs a savior. The truth is, mankind cannot save itself. Jesus was scourged, beaten, whipped. Put a crown of thorns to mock him. Okay, you are a king, we'll give you a crown. They didn't understand what's going on here. Another scene with Pilate, John 19, verse 6. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. Do you see the waffling Pilate here? <laughs> the Jews answered him, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate, the ultimate authority, the governor over everything, the man in charge, when he heard this, he was what? petrified, more afraid, even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, where are you from? Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me? <laughs> okay. Pilate, this 
little first century governor over this little territory is now speaking to God. Do you not know that I have authority to release you? And I have authority to crucify you. Jesus answers, based upon his kingdom, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Interesting. The man who has all the power in the scene, the man who has all the worldly authority, is afraid, unsure kind of acting a little wimpy. The man who's facing the moment of his life, the man who is facing the cross, the man who is facing his fate, stands assured, confident, courageous. You know, we can learn this about worldly authority. Worldly authority always has some measure of fear, doesn't it? There's always some fear of the enemy. There's always some fear that I'm going to lose my authority. What has happened in history when people have more and more authority and they have ultimate authority? What have we seen when people are like kings and they have the authority to do whatever they want to do? They become what? They become more and more paranoid. We have stories in history where, where kings cut off the heads of their wives. <laughs> They've killed their brothers and... They get to the point where they kill anybody who just doesn't look at them the right way. Because I've got to hold on to my worldly authority and I'm fearful. I won't. You see in Pilate here, he doesn't want to make this decision, does he? Surely the thought is crossing his mind. What if Jesus is telling the truth? What if he is the king of kings? That I've heard that the Jews believe is coming. If he is who he say, says he is, I will be the one remembered throughout history as the one who crucified God. <laughs> There's a twinge of doubt in his mind. So on one hand, he's politically afraid because uh, what if there's a riot? What if these Jews just start rioting and he, everything's out of control? And what if Rome hears about it? What is old Pilate doing? His subjects are out of control. We need to take care of Pilate. Oh, no, I hope they don't find out. I hope they don't riot. He's also spiritually afraid. What if Jesus who he says he is. I think we have to stop and take note a little bit. If you're, if you're a person who's invested in worldly authority, there's always going to be some fear. If everything, if everything in your life is about your business, 
the success of your business, and you've got all your heart, all your emotion, everything's there, everything is in your business, you're always going to be fearful of what? <laughs> oh, well, there's going to be a downturn in the market. There's going to be something that happens to my product, and it's not going to be wanted for very long. If your authority's invested in, in, your, ch- in, in, in your children, and you want everything for your kids, and you're totally invested in you want to control their destiny. You want to control their future. And you're always so fearful they're going to make the wrong choice. They're going to go to the wrong school. They're going to marry the wrong person. I just I can't stand it. When you're invested in worldly authority, things like just give it up. Turn it loose. Oh, just believe in another. Well, I can't do that. I just can't do that. I can't trust my business to another. I can't trust my kids to another. Folks, you know what the replacement for fear always is? Faith. Trust in another. You can't have faith and fear at the same time. I can't really trust God with my kids and worry about them. I can't really trust God with my business and worry about the day-to-day. I can't trust God with my church and then just fret over every little... It's His. You know, when you become a Christian, if and when you become a Christian, you leave one realm, as Jesus said, and you enter a new realm. You're no longer living in a worldly authority kingdom. You're now living in a kingdom of God. You've you've taken up new citizenship, and there's some things you ought to know about this new kingdom. First of all, in God's kingdom, Jesus is king. I just said it. Jesus is king. Not only that, he's a good king. He's always good. Now, in the kingdom of God, Will you be told what to do? Some of you thinking, I think this is a trick question. Will you be told what to do in the kingdom of God? Yeah. Yeah. But it's totally different because you don't realize that that's what's happening. Because the kingdom of God is not somewhere else. Where is it? The kingdom of God is in you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, there is a kingdom that is not something out there that you try to live up to, but something that has become you. Therefore, now, the way he thinks becomes a a more natural inclination to me. I'm not saying, well, I've got to get up there and start obeying him better. I've got to do, oh, man, I'm just such a failure. No, it's just there's a natural new inclination that begins to take root, develop, move in our heart, in our life. Being one of his subjects is so awesome because we can finally rest. How many of you need a little rest? You know, I see the scene with Pilate and Jesus. Oh, 
okay, just take those two guys, Pilate and Jesus. Which one is fearful and uptight and unsure and confused? And, right? Who is just courageous and just, I'll say what I want to say when I want to say it, and I'm going to do what I want to do when I do it? it you see, there's this, there's this place with God, there's this place in Jesus' life where he just knew that his, my father's got this. Pilate thinks he's in control. Pilate's not in control. This is my destiny. My father has planned this from before the world was created. I, my father knows what he's doing, and I can rest in that. How many of you would characterize your spiritual life today as a life of rest? Maybe it's just... Uh, things going on in my life, my schedule, but I've, I've just thought a lot about rest lately. I don't know what that says about me, but uh, not only physical rest, but just living in a place of rest. Because, you see, rest implies peace, doesn't it? Rest implies a lack of certain things. Look, can you be at rest and worry about everything? So if you're at rest, there's a lack of worry, anxiousness. Rest brings up images. God leading me beside still waters. He restoring my soul. You know, you read Hebrews 3 and 4, which is the great go-to scriptures of Christian rest, and um, you'll notice that, the, that, those, that passage defines the rest of God as the life of the Christian. It's not a sporadic, every once in a while kind of thing. We work hard on our own, and then we come back and rest in God, and then we leave and go out on a mission and come back and rest. No. He talks about life with God as a life of rest. He he equates it to the, 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 the story of the children of Israel in the desert when they were rebellious to God. He says, I will uh, let them die in their rebellion. They turn their hearts away from me, so they will die out there. And he says, they will not enter my, what does he say? He doesn't say promised land, but that's, that's what he is saying. He says, they will not enter my rest. In other words, the promised land, which is the foreshadowing of our life with Christ, this place of living with Him, is a place that will be known as rest. Let me ask you this. What day of creation was man created? I'll help you. Sixth. Right? Right? So man was created after everything else was created. He was created on the sixth day. So man's first full day was what? The Sabbath. Rest. So what happens when you are recreated, reborn in Christ? You have the new birth. It is as if you are taken back spiritually to the sixth day and ushered into the seventh, and Jesus says, don't ever walk away from this place. You were created 
for this. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And folks, he's not talking about the seventh day of the week at all. You read the whole passage. This does not mean the seventh day of the week. This means the way you live your life with God. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Get this. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from what? His works. Aren't you so glad you get to rest from your works? I am. I don't ever want to see what Dave can do anymore. Amen? I want to see what God's power through my life can do. I want to cease from my works and I want to see the fruit of the Spirit flowing in such a way that the works of the Holy Spirit is what comes through my life. Look at verse 11. Therefore, let us be, this is an odd phrase, let us be diligent to enter that rest. I want you to work really hard. I want you to have an intense focus to be restful. I want it to be at the forefront of your mind every day. I live in a place of rest. I live in a place of peace. I need to not be anxious and worried because the Spirit of God is within me and my Father has this whole situation, even the darkest moments of my life, as with Jesus, He's got this. In God's kingdom, we rest. In God's kingdom, we rest and we rest all the time. Isn't that good news today? You don't look like you believe that. You rest. We live in a perpetual Sabbath. No longer concerned about our apart from Him works. We're just concerned about His working in and through us. We are now submitted to his covering over us. We just walk in his power. We walk in his ability. Anxiousness only creeps in when we start our works up again. Could you use some spiritual rest today? And don't confuse it with physical rest. It's a different thing. Physical rest is what happens when our bodies get tired and it just needs to sleep or we need to take a day off. It's sporadic. It's temporary. It's occasional. That's not spiritual rest. Spiritual rest is a place, a spiritual place of constant surrender, submission, being hidden in the refuge of God's power. I love this picture from Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Verse 4, He will cover you with His pinions, those feathers, wings. And under His wings you may seek refuge, His faithfulness, His faithfulness. I will take care of you, my child. I will be your God. His faithfulness is this shield. It, the arrows of the enemy just... He will provide protection. 
He will shelter you under His wings. Why would we want to live anywhere else, folks? As most of you know, I'm pretty much a, I'm pretty much a city slicker. Never spent any time on a farm. I don't know a whole lot about farms. Well, I did own five acres one time. Does that count? We had chickens. I know. We had chickens. I didn't learn anything from the chickens, though. Um, they tell me, those of you who have experience may, may know this, but they tell me that if... Uh, if a hen has a brood of baby chicks and she sees a, a threatening hawk, let's say, flying around, she doesn't scurry around the pen trying to collect her chicks. What she does is she spreads her wings. And when the hen spreads her wings, the babies know it's time to get under there. To, to let the enemy know that if you're going to get me, you're going to have to go through what? Her first. Oh, don't you want to live under his wing? And the enemy comes and shoots this dart, and no, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to get through him first. I'm at peace and I'm at rest under this protective assurance. What enemy do you face today? Maybe you are anxious. Maybe you do worry a lot. I, I often will ask the, the congregation, I'll say, do you ever worry? And people go, well, of course we worry. It's almost like that's a given. Don't, doesn't everybody worry? The Bible says do not what? Worry. Perhaps you're tired of trying to make everything work. I think this is where a lot of people get today. I'm just trying to make it all work. I'm trying to make my kids out work, work out right. I'm trying to make my job work out right. I'm trying to make my marriage work out. I'm just trying to make it all work, and I'm just, I'm just weary. You're not under the wing. You're out there fighting the battle yourself. You would never use the word rest. I could ask you, give me 10... Give me 50 words about your spiritual life and rest would not be one of them. This is not what God wants for you. He wants to be a bulwark, a refuge, a fortress. And I think there are people here today that Jesus is calling to you. And he's saying those same words he said in Matthew 11. <laughs> yeah, I need to hear this. Come to me. All you who are what? Weary and heavy laden. How many of you are trying to do it and you just feel the weight of the world on your shoulders? He's saying, come to me. I and I alone will give you rest. Take my yoke. In other words, 
tie yourself to me. Attach yourself to me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, Jesus is saying. For I am gentle, I'm humble in heart. And when you do that, there's, there's an automatic thing that happens. He says, when you attach yourself to me, you learn from me, you will find rest for your soul. Not some kind of temporary relief. No. Permanent rest. Bow your heads with me. Father, I want to pray specifically in, in the close of this message today, Father, for those that, that feel stressed and feel strung out and feel confused and feel like they're burning the candle at both ends spiritually and they're just a—they're trying to make it all work and they're trying to be faithful to you and obedient to you and they're maybe trying to raise kids or trying to figure out their future and their, their, their path. And Lord, we know that you did not intend this life to be overwhelming. You did not intend for this life to be stressed and fractured and that's not life in you and so father i am praying for a spirit of rest to settle in today that we would know that the one who has risen from the dead who did die on that cross that day and has brought life into us, has not brought a life that is subject to this worldly kingdom any longer, that is subject to all of the stresses and the discouragement and the depression and the anxiousness. That's not the life you died and rose to give us. So, Father, I am praying for those that just need to come back underneath that wing and, and trust in you again. And just know that you've got this. This doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus. He knew that you had it with Pilate, and he still died the next day. An excruciating death. But it's so, it's so encouraging and comforting to our soul that we know that you have this, that we are living in the protection, the assurance of your love for us, your provision for us your life in us. We love you today, Jesus. We love you. We worship you. We proclaim your life in us. Let's stand together.